I think it's pretty satisfying. Do you feel that it's lusty? You, guys, I, you, la- you ladies feeling the lustiness? I mean, mm. maybe. <laughs> With a little bit more wine, that's, we will feel yes. the lust that's, real quick. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> From Rosemary's Baby and Reagan McNeil to Jason, Freddie, and Chucky to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tickling, breath-cooking, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and with me in the studio are my two co-hosts, Ann Connolly. Hey, guys. And Helen Stewart. Hello. All right, for new listeners, this is going to be our format for this episode. First, I'm going to introduce the movie we'll be reviewing and rating tonight. Then we're going to run through our expectations going into the watch. We will play the trailer and review the movie in roughly chronological order. And finally, we're going to wrap things up with our ratings. Tonight, we'll be reviewing the 1982 American science fiction horror film, The Thing, directed by John Carpenter and written by Bill Lancaster, based on the 1938 John Campbell Jr. novella, Who Goes There?, It tells the story of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter the Thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates then imitates other organisms. The group is overcome by paranoia and conflict as they learn that they can no longer trust each other and that any one of them could be the Thing. The film stars Kurt Russell as the team's helicopter pilot R.J. McCready and features a whole lot of other people here in the wiki. So look it up if you want to find out who they are. Want to go into your expectations going into the watch? I'll go into mine. I had none. I knew nothing about this movie. I didn't know when it was shot. I didn't mm. know what it was based on. I was thinking of the blob. So I remember seeing the <laughs> blob when I was a kid in a drive-in theater. And I was like, it's probably something like so, that. I actually thought it might have been in black and white. I had literally no idea. So considering this movie is like a really well-known, really oh, liked horror it. movie. Oh, I can hear the I can hear it. the people right now being like, what do you mean you, you can, didn't know what you the can, thing was from 1982? Oh, shush. You can like, hear the eye the, rolls. I can hear the eye rolls already. Um, <laughs> that's like my favorite phrase. Um, oh, I mean, like when you think of The Exorcist and The Shining and all those, I mean, I think, you know, okay, fine. If, if y'all want to mark me up for not knowing the thing, sorry. But <laughs> I didn't know it. Okay. So sorry. Sorry. <laughs> all right, Helen, you. So I, this was my pick. I didn't know what to pick. I sat down with Ray last week after we finished podcasting, and we were like, what do we want to do? And this would not have been my pick, but I do love Halloween. John Carpenter did Halloween. This is the 1982, so a couple of years later. So I said, let's check it out. Didn't know what it was about. <laughs> I have seen the thing before, although only once, I think, all the way through. And it was a while ago because I don't didn't really remember exactly what happened in what order. But I was excited to watch it again, especially on the heels of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I didn't really put two and two together when Helen picked the movie. But it is pretty much another version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, just like the early 80s version. So it was cool. Okay, and I just wanted to defend our position because in no way have we claimed to be horror movie aficionados. We are just horror movie fans. So I just mm-hmm. want to clarify that both for you, Ray Richards, and for our fans. Yeah, I, I'm by no means uh, aficionado of horror movies. I agree. Yeah, so we like this stuff. So this is cool because we get to go into this with virgin eyes at the end of the day and say, hey, you know, we've never seen this before. Like, what is this like? Is it good? Is it not good? Like, how do we feel about it? But yeah, I mean, love John Carpenter. So as soon as he came up, I was like, what? John Carpenter? 
Sign me up. Here we go. Yeah, I do think that because we are doing this, it gives you a chance to go back and look at some of these more classic films that, you know, anybody who would consider themselves an aficionado has already seen. And we get to see it with fresh eyes. And I think that's also a super cool opportunity. I preferred Virgin Eyes, actually. What did I say? Fresh Eyes? You said Fresh Eyes. Okay, I, yes. I virgin Eyes. And Virgin, virgin Eyes. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new theme song. <laughs> It is not our new theme song, but that's okay. <laughs> Season two's theme right. song. <laughs> yeah. All right. So why don't we play the trailer and get into it? All right. I guess. Here we go. You don't want any more of my singing. It's trailer time and action. show itself it wants to hide inside an imitation it'll fight if it has to but it's vulnerable out in the open if it takes us over then it has no more enemies nobody left to kill it and then it's one you guys gonna listen to gary we can beat one of those things Antarctica, a Norwegian helicopter pursues a sled dog to an American research station. The Americans witness the Norwegian passenger accidentally blowing up the helicopter and himself. The Norwegian pilot fires a rifle and shouts at the Americans, but they can't understand him, and he's shot dead in self-defense by station commander Gary. The American helicopter pilot R.J. McCready and Dr. Cooper leave to investigate the Norwegian base. Among the charred ruins and frozen corpses, they find the burned remains of a malformed humanoid, which they recover to the American station. Their biologist, Blair, performs autopsies on the remains and finds a normal set of human organs. So, Helen, mm-hmm. body snatchers. Yes. We talked about whether or not at the very beginning showing the aliens was a good idea or not a good idea. What did you think about this movie? Because they clearly show, like, the, the alien spaceship fly into Earth. So you know what it is before the movie even starts. I was still confused over the dog. Okay. Because I had no idea what this movie is about. Gotcha. And I am an animal lover. So I was like, why are you going after this poor dog? So you knew something was wrong with the dog. The dog seemed more highly intelligent than what you would consider one of the wild. Yeah. But you didn't understand why. So I don't know if it like added anything to the movie for me. Gotcha. And? I'm with Helen about the dog scene that you're just thinking, you know, what's going on with this dog? Of course, the idea that it's some kind of, whether it's extraterrestrial or if it's horror or whatever it is, the thing is, obviously it's possessing the dog. 
Like you're like, obviously, okay, the dog's got it. And these people have been crazed and they've been trying to hunt this thing and take it down and like the dog's transporting it. I mean, you kind of get that pretty quickly. I was amazed at how horrible a shot these Norwegians were. Yeah. How are you in a helicopter hunting a dog and you have come up on this dog? I mean, not once, not twice, like five times they show how close they get to shooting this dog and somehow they can't get it. Hey, the dog was like zigzagging. He was pretty... He's pretty good. I mean, then it like slowed down and then it sped back up. But yeah, I mean, it was just ridiculous. I I have to be honest with you. During that scene, I was more interested in how they like got the shots. I'm like, okay, they must have, this dog must have run a bunch of different ways. And now dog run in front and the helicopter goes across and they're like filming it. I was thinking of the way they were filming it more than anything in the very first shot. So the only justification I can have for the bad shot, and maybe this is just me making this up because I have no evidence to back this up is that they are scientists trying to research whatever in Antarctica. So maybe the the shots that they have are not for in a helicopter going after a dog. It's more for if they were to be attacked by some polar bear. Yeah, I would imagine that's probably true. I, I personally think it might be pretty hard to shoot something from a helicopter. I mean, helicopters bumping around, you're moving. I mean, it depends on how close you could get to it. He seemed pretty steady. Like I watching him, I my eyes were on that man. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to belabor it, but in the beginning I thought that, but by the end I was like, oh my god, you have gotten so close to this dog so many times, and this dog is now officially well, running like one mile per hour because it's so exhausted. Just you know, so but when the dog gets up to um, the U.S. base camp, you know, clearly the Norwegian did a really poor job of trying to set the situation. Throwing the grenade. I've just <laughs> he did a really levels. good, really yeah. bad job of throwing that grenade. Yeah, whoops. Um, and then even like coaching down the Americans, like even if you're frantic, you have to understand how ludicrous this idea of like an alien possessed dog is going to seem. So you come up there and you're shooting at the people. I mean, he was shooting right at those guys. Yeah, he's lucky he wasn't shot in the head sooner. I mean, I was kind of like, this is all like a little weird. I felt like the Americans were way too easygoing. Maybe that was the the only thing I thought about that was like, is this because this is early 80s and Americans aren't like gun crazy yet? I don't know if you guys felt the same thing, but I just thought that was weird. Like they immediately would have been like, whoa, buddy, you know, don't shoot us and like put your gun down. They were just like, hey, man, (laughs) I, I think I think it was all supposed to have taken place too quickly. I did appreciate when he did get shot through the eye or whatever, and he kind of f- way he falls and then like like shivers or J- jiggles. jiggles. Yeah, um, I thought that was really well done. I feel that that part because it's Gary who's doing the shooting, and I had talked about this with you know Jimmy Stewart, but like he breaks open the window, and I was like, why didn't you just open the door? Now I don't shoot guns, not that I have anything against them, but I just. Maybe there's like a protective reason, but it just seemed like you're breaking out the glass of the window and it just seemed really cheesy. Yeah. In Antarctica, in your base camp where the weather is literally your enemy, like you're not going to go knocking out the window. I'm sorry. You're going to preserve your camp as much as possible. Right. Exactly. I guess the guy had a rifle. He was shooting at people. So he just figured he had to take the shot. That's what I Whatever. You know, Ant Survival Guide 101 says don't break the window. (laughs) So you know this dog is bad and the dog's wandering around camp. But it's a really cute dog. It is a cute I'm dog. Just, I, so I, don't, cute. I don't know. It has this that stare, and it's like staring at everybody. Oh, it's a cute dog. So, I would love that dog. So did you think that that was an effective use of the time when they have dogs all wandering around, and you're kind of you know something's wrong with it, and you're trying to figure out what's going on? 
Like, did you feel like that that was creepy? Or was it just like, what are we doing here? I didn't feel like it was creepy, but I did feel that it gave you the sense that there was more to the dog than what Mm -hmm. you would typically get out of a normal dog because he was walking around very intellectually. I was annoyed again because I was like, y'all are a bunch of idiots. Like, clearly this dog has something wrong with it that this guy's so upset that he wants to shoot it. And you're like, it's cool. Again, I was like, hey, man. Let's just hang out with his dog. He can roam around our base camp cool. <laughs> I well, think I got, he was it so was, cute. It was it was a cute dog. Well, I got the impression that the at least one of the characters thought the dog had been put with the other dogs. Like he was surprised later right. on. He's surprised yeah. that well, the dog yeah. wasn't put away. So but, but again, why would you not quarantine that thing immediately? Yeah, I think this they, is an unknown animal in your base camp. Crazy Norwegians who are also scientists are chasing this thing down in a helicopter attempting to shoot it enough that their own life is taken. You don't pause for a moment and just go, mm, it might have rabies. It might have some kind of disease. Let's quarantine it. Rabies really? I have yeah. no idea, but something yeah, I mean, I guess I assumed that because they mentioned they thought that the men themselves had gone kind of nuts, that they were already on to the idea that, oh, the, the guys are what they had something wrong with them, not necessarily the dog. That's how I took it in the movie. That they were like, oh, the, the guys are crazy. Um, but I get what you're saying. It's, it's fair to explain that way. But then I just think, yeah, they're idiots. So the scene where the dog goes into the guy's room. Right, and you see the shadow of the guy, see his head, you mm-hmm. know, and that's the scene where the dog takes somebody over, at least mm-hmm. one person. Yeah. Well, that shadow is none of the actors. No. John Carpenter used somebody else so that you could never figure out who that's supposed to be. I wondered because it didn't look like yeah. any other silhouettes, and I was like, hmm. but I thought the effect was really cool. It was. It was very like. Ooh. Mm-hmm. kind of moment like dun 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 what's going to happen and like i like that they didn't get to the extent where you see the dog shadow morph or anything like it wasn't gimmicky at all like it was just like human shadow meets dog shadow and we're just gonna leave it at that yeah like panda black yeah it was you know i think that this movie did a lot of good job of not only suspense but also did a good job of not showing everything right i agree with that I also, like, I know when I was looking at the fun facts that a lot of people did not find that there was a humor aspect to this. So I don't know if maybe later on we kind of are a little more lighthearted with, you know, how serious things were taken at that time. But I thought that there was more humor towards this. And you get that with the chess playing and he takes his alcoholic drink and, like, throws it into the computer and calls, you know, the computer a bitch. Oh, my but, gosh. Also, I had that chess game growing up. Did I you was really? like, Oh, my God, yes. I was like, oh, my God, I haven't seen that game in forever. I didn't know that was, like, an actual thing. Oh, yeah. Totally. I'm assuming it was on our Commodore 64 we had, like, no, way back in the no. day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, totally. I was like, oh, Commodore my gosh, 64. I love it. Uh, yeah, but I love that he literally like pop pops open the computer and short circuit. I mean, I'm like, again, you're like in the middle of no man's land in Antarctica. You cannot spare to short circuit right. a computer. Like it was ludicrous. But, you know, Kurt Russell, bad boy. He doesn't care. Not Down with his eyelashes. Da- <laughs> That luxurious yeah. mane. Just best. Those eyelashes. Everything's okay. <laughs> <laughs> lusty mane. I'm sorry. We should change it to lusty to match our wine. That's right. <laughs> no, his hair was magnificent. There's was. no denying that. Yes. Mm, those it, lioness his, curls. His hat less so. Whatever that hat was he was wearing when they were yeah. flying to the other camp. It, I, I thought at first he had put it on sideways. 
<laughs> because the <laughs> flap went up, and I thought maybe it was no, the cowboy hat on sideways. A crocodile Dundee look. Oh no, it's not even crocodile Dundee. I don't. It's I don't know what that is. <laughs> I do love me some crocodile Dundee. But um, mm, but yeah. you know, you're in Antarctica and you just accept it. Anything goes. I, I guess. There I were like, no women there. Yeah. Yep. There was no fashion sense. Yeah. I like the hat later because you could really identify his silhouette yes. with the hat. You're like, oh, that hat was a useful gimmick. So they go to the other camp. And this is where I am like, what are you doing exactly? You Check see these out. remains that are of like two people look like they're burned and melted together. That was amazing. And the answer is, let's take it back with us. Yes. No. Clearly, you're not into science. No. Oh, no, no, shit. No. I would be pulling that thing in and taking no. some samples. That's totally me. Yeah, and that's, the tongue thing in and of itself was that, amazing. That's the reason that they all die. Now, like, science. I get that, like, <laughs> in 1982, you probably, like, we didn't have, like, the DNA knowledge that we have now, but I would totally be in. I mean, we knew what DNA was, though. I'd be taking some samples. I mean, it's like uh, annihilation. No, no, I wouldn't. I would be totally because, taking samples. Like Anne says, you have the dog, weird dog, you have the weird Norwegians, and you go there and the entire place basically looks like a horror show. Axes with blood sticking through the doors. Mm-hmm. People have slit their wrists and the blood has frozen <laughs> all the way down yeah. to the ground. That was amazing. Right? Amazing effect. Yes. And you're and you're gonna take any of that back with you. Absolutely. Nope. I'm sorry, yes. I mean, we know what infectious diseases are by that point. I mean, again, I was just like, you're poking and prodding this stuff with like your bare hands and like, oh, let's just go get a it's sheet an and wrap you're this fine. up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was totally unrealistic. Didn't, didn't he say, he? you see the big block of ice that's melted, mm-hmm. right, first. Carved. It, it, doesn't he say something like, yeah, melted on the inside? Like, doesn't he say like, oh, something might have gotten out or whatever as they're walking out of that room yes and then he immediately looks and sees this crazy looking thing wouldn't i be like that might be the thing that came from that ice but you think it's dead they were like it might be a humanoid like they were confused i don't care if you think it's dead you you wouldn't think it was dead if you thought that it had been in the ice for ten thousand years or however long so let me personal story when i was in college i had to go on a rotation where i watched a pathologist like literally take tumors and cut them open the guy who was doing it was old school, and he would not wear gloves because you could feel better with your fingers. So he was wearing a button-down shirt, and he said, yeah, my wife hates it because, like, I get blood all over, all over everything. And he just went in and, and just sliced and diced. So I can 100% say, yes, that is realistic, that these people will probably sit there and take, like, take samples and do things without gloves because that was just the culture at the time. Well, it's gross. You would eat your sandwich right next to freaking some idiots. Disgusting blood and urine and feces, because that was what you did. Well, and maybe that's why they deserve to die. Anyway. Oh no, <laughs> I don't think that. I just, you know, <laughs> you, you didn't, I don't think really people knew as much about transmission as they do now. Eighty-two was not that long ago. Yeah, I know. I mm. mean, it was long enough because I feel pretty old, and that was my birth year. <laughs> I was gonna say oh, thirty-seven years or no? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. don't need to find it, that out. It, it was a long while ago, yeah. right? Clark kennels the sled dog and suit it metamorphoses and absorbs the station dogs. This disturbance alerts the team and Childs uses a flamethrower to incinerate the creature. Blair autopsies the new creature and learns that it can perfectly imitate other organisms. Recovered Norwegian data leads the Americans to a large excavation site containing a partially buried alien spacecraft and a smaller human-sized dig site. Norris estimates that the alien ship has been buried for at least 100,000 years. Blair grows paranoid that the creature could assimilate all life on Earth in a matter of years. 
the station implements controls to reduce the risk of assimilation. I don't know about 1982 and our science then, but I don't know how we would understand imitation if we didn't really fully understand DNA. But aside from that, the taking over the dogs was pretty cool. Yes, that was <laughs> that was a pretty crazy scene when the dog's head splits open. Yes. Yeah, that was a cool practical effect, I will say. To your point, like fast forwarding to the breakout scene of our alien uh, invader, like that was cool. Like it was very gooey and -hmm. like good skeletal effects, good structure. Was there a lot of like reverse camera action going on or was that just me? There was some. I don't think it was a ton, but there was some. When all the... um. Like spaghetti, spaghetti noodles went over the dogs' bodies. Yeah. That I think was reverse. Mm-hmm. I mean, of all the people and characters and animals and things in the movie, the smartest one was that one dog that was trying to chew his way out of mm-hmm. the fence. Smart dog. <laughs> I have it, to say that the whole creature, like modeling, I guess, yeah, was unbelievable. I'm not a huge creature feature type person, so it's funny that I picked this film. But to see what artistic, you know, genius went into this was just unbelievable because you know that somebody designed this and made this and it was just like, yeah. how did this, how did this happen? Yeah, you could just see an effects shop like geeking out throughout this movie, like between, right, the dog heads and the organs and the human face, just like all throughout this, the humanoid bodies. I mean, a lot of those like practical like physically had to manufacture and probably cast bones and cast skeletons like mm-hmm. the 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 dog like figures yeah it was cool it was, it was it, they were again they were good practical effects my favorite effect in the movie i think is where they're autopsying this dog thing and he cuts into it and then he he like peels back and reveals this head skeleton skull thing with teeth that was freaking me out so when I was watching this, I thought a lot about you, Ray, because... Oh, thanks. <laughs> I just... Some of the creatures looked very Lovecraftian of... Sure. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I just was wondering how you... If you kind of geeked out on that. Yeah. I mean, this story, the Antarctic story, is similar to one of Lovecraft's novels. It's not really about an alien life form that can mimic other life forms, but it is about explorers in antarctica and discovering alien life and and that sort of thing so um in the mountains of madness actually i just also thought that they kind of reached the conclusion about the assimilation of human life and then paranoia ensues yeah they kind of ramped up pretty quickly yeah i I also feel like the invasion of the body snatchers did as well but i thought that the paranoia in that movie was to a greater extent than this one I think the invasion of the body snatchers acclimated me to the environment for this movie in the idea that it didn't really matter what happened in the first 30 minutes of the movie. You just accept it. It's setting the scene. And then it's just like, let all hell break loose. Here we go. Right? Like, none of it makes sense. It doesn't matter. People are acting irrationally. Like, even, you know, body snatchers, right? You just jump into the, she's like, you know. I think somebody's taken over my husband. Like, you just get, like, right into it. And this movie is very much the same thing. Like, the dog comes, people get, you know, they go over to the Norwegian site, burned humanoids, spaceship. Okay, cool. Right into it. It's like, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even phase the people. So you don't have this character development around the idea that these people are cognitively trying to struggle with that situation. 
<laughs> that's just like a foregone conclusion as, again, like a vehicle to get them to the whole idea of this uh, paranoia 12 angry men-like situation. 12 angry men. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I thought they could have done more in the beginning of the movie to set up the characters. I felt like they shortchanged it a little bit. So you didn't, I think, feel like you understood the characters very well when they started to get under the stress or the paranoia, right? And then I had some issues, sort of kind of what Anne was saying about people making bad decisions, but it seemed to me that throughout this movie, even though they tried to implement some sort of controls, they didn't do a very good job. They were always splitting up. They were always in different rooms. They were mm-hmm. always it, – it's like why wouldn't you have everyone in the rec room all the time? You never go anywhere by yourself. Like, right. You know. Yeah, I felt like with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they did really quick scenes where you really felt more for the characters. You know, there was like the sharing of the Asian food that the the yeah. one guy mm-hmm. made and um, you just felt with the – like more concern over the married couple. Whereas here, I don't know if it was just because it was all dudes isolated in an Antarctica-type setting. Like you just – I didn't care if they lived or died. They weren't talking about their feelings. No. Maybe that's it. Maybe <laughs> maybe I need a Lifetime movie version of this and it'll all be better. Well, I think some of – Except for the dude with the dogs. Right. He cared a lot about the he dogs. He did care a lot, but he was, was Neanderthal-like, so I yeah. could have just – it didn't really matter too much I, to me But there he was probably one of my favorite characters because he was that weird dichotomy that you didn't know whether you should trust him or not. Right. Because he seemed so, to your point, like Neanderthal-like and stoic and incommunicative to a certain extent that you're like, are you possessed mm-hmm. or are you just bad at communication? Right. Like it, <laughs> it was just kind of funny the way that it worked out. But you had to care. At least he cared for the dogs. That's true. To your point, like nobody else gave a shit about anybody else. So you were like, again, that's why I was like 12 angry men. You don't have any context about those people. They're Mm -hmm. just in the room arguing, which is basically like this. Like you jump right in there and they're in the situation. I still enjoyed it. I still liked the suspense and the idea. It was very like, I felt like a lot of parallels with Clue, with the idea where you're trying to solve a puzzle and who done it and who's infected and who's going where. But, you know, you're not super deep on character development at the end of the day. The dead malformed humanoid creature assimilates in isolated Bennings, but Windows interrupts the process and McCready burns the Bennings thing. Blair sabotages all the vehicles, kills the remaining sled dogs, and destroys the radio to prevent escape. The team imprisons him in a tool shed. Copper suggests a test to compare each member's blood against the uncontaminated blood held in storage, but after learning the blood stores have been destroyed, the men lose faith in Gary, and McCready takes command. McCready, Window, and Knowles find Fuchs's burnt corpse and surmise that he committed suicide to avoid assimilation. Windows returns to base while McCready and Knowles investigate McCready's shack. On their return, Knowles abandons McCready in a snowstorm, believing he has been assimilated after finding his torn clothes in the shack. The team debate whether to allow McCready inside, but he breaks in and holds the group at bay with dynamite. During the encounter, Norris appears to suffer a heart attack. As Cooper attempts to defibrillate Norris, his chest transforms to a large mouth and bites off Cooper's arms, killing him. McCready incinerates the Norris thing, but its head detaches and attempts to escape before also being burnt. McCready is forced to kill Clark in self-defense. When the latter lunges at him from behind with a knife, he hypothesizes that the Norris thing's head demonstrated that every part of the thing is an individual life form with its own survival instinct. He sequentially tests the blood samples with a heated piece of wire. Everyone passes the test except Palmer, whose blood jumps from the heat. Palmer transforms and infects windows, forcing McCready to burn them both. A couple things in this part of the movie that I thought were funny. One was the 
computer setup that Blair has. Somehow he has like a computer that can do renderings of the you know probability of the planet being taken over by some sort of alien life form. Uh, the a boop, picture, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> yeah, a picture of the cells being taken over. Which, by the way, John Carpenter has gone on the record and said that that didn't really represent what he was trying to get across. I would hope not. You're so full of shit, John Carpenter. <laughs> Come on, one hundred percent, it was. That was perfect. That was a perfect no, visualization. No, no, but it wasn't a though. Cells, cells no. a simulation in for 1982. No, but it, but it what, looked like Pac-Man. But that was Bumpy. the point. No, That's no, the point. No, he doesn't mean that. He means it doesn't. It's not correct. In other words, the one cell takes over. It goes into the other one, yeah. and then it becomes. And then that blue one takes over another blue one, and it becomes one blue one instead of two blue ones. Like it, it isn't creating multiple cells. It's, right. Yeah. Like putting them all into one thing. I, so anyway, that's what I he was didn't talking about. get it. Like I just thought it was terrible. I thought it was hilarious and just very timely. I mean, it was hilarious, but not accurate. Like I, I don't know. It just didn't look like he could program something like that. Oh no! Well, he could. No. Like, yeah. But but obviously they're just, they're using it just to sh- tell the people what the stakes are, so that everyone in the audience understands what's going I on. Think I think mean, it would have been better with a map. We're talking <laughs> alien dogs, so I was okay to suspend my reality of belief for like <laughs> relatively with rigidly. three cells. <laughs> but I will tell you the, yeah, with like the probability of like, oh my gosh, all those screens were so authentic, like in the font and the, in the way that they were presented. It totally reminded me of Oregon Trail. <laughs> right? You're getting the flu and you're going to die. Probability of survival, 68%. I was like, oh my gosh, completely. Number of hours, the entire world will be taken over. It's like 120,000. I I was like 120. I was like, that's a lot. Just under three years, I think it was. Yeah, I was like, that's a while. You got a few years. That's okay. So something that I learned on doing a little bit of research about the movie, you can't really solve the movie. When people are assimilated, how they're assimilated, in what order, so it's not even worth going through. You can speculate, but there's not enough information presented in the movie to figure that piece out. I can't do so, my clue thing. Go no, back and rewatch no, it. No, and, and, <sighs> that, and, and that's one of the things that kind of frustrates me about the movie because I feel like I should be able to go back and watch the movie and figure that out. But just like with the silhouette, the silhouette's nobody. So you can't figure that piece out. You can't figure the rest out. So this whole middle part of the movie where you know people are aren't human, I guess it was supposed to make you feel uh, paranoid, mm-hmm. but it... It frustrated me more than anything, especially the ripped clothes. I still don't understand the ripped clothes. I don't understand who planted them. I don't understand why somebody would plant them. I don't understand how they got from the snow with with um, Fuchs to Fuchs being burnt to them being up in McCready's shack. Like I, I didn't get any of that. So I feel like you could say that either you have a super intelligent alien form that can assimilate to anybody who is aware that his one real opponent would be McCready. Or you could say that Blair would have been the one to sabotage since he had his tunnels underground that you aren't aware of at the time because he wouldn't want that like anybody to survive this. He would want to destroy that entire camp so that the thing can't get out because the paranoia would make everybody kill everybody else. Well, we're assuming that Blair didn't have the tunnels until he was an alien, right? He constructs the tunnels after he becomes assimilated because he goes under there to build a UFO so he can escape. That's what I took out of those tunnels. Yeah, you I can assume that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't assume that he was. Although how he built all those tunnels and got a whole tool set down there and built an alien spaceship in like the what two days or three days 
that he was in that shack. I don't he know. He was busy, dude. Leave him alone. I know. <laughs> he didn't need to sleep. He's a real go-getter. <laughs> um, but I, I agree with what Helen was saying was uh, also with the Blair piece. I also just wondered, you know, he's clearly, I mean, unhinged. He's... You don't know if he's possessed by the alien. You don't know if he's the thing yet or if he just has some kind of influences from the thing. There's something weird going on with Blair. So At, at what like, point? You know, by the time he starts like getting crazy and then they seclude him. Yeah, I, and then I, he's over there. I mean, before he's, I mean, secluded, I figured he's already he, crazy. I figured he was not the alien at that point because he's destroying all the ability for the alien to leave. Like he was just trying to isolate everybody so the alien could not get out. I mean, I kind of almost thought it was like he was getting infected by the alien. And then at that point, I was like, oh, is it like airborne? To the point where it created additional paranoia in the camp to have them, right, go after one another. So then he could in turn escape. So, I mean, I think there are different ways you can interpret it. But I do agree with you, Ray, that I, I kind of was annoyed the most with just the shredded McCready outfit. But I love Helen's hypothesis that the thing identified him as the number one threat. And basically, what's the word? Framed him. He framed him, basically. Right? right? The other interesting uh, hypothesis that I've read about was that the aliens themselves since they're all sort of individualistically organisms, that they actually aren't working at the same purpose, right? So if you have two people mm -hmm. that are assimilated, they aren't technically working together, that they each have their own individual need or want to get away. So like just because somebody is assimilated doesn't mean that it won't destroy another one who's assimilated, which is – I don't know if that's true or not, but that was one of the things that I had read about. Oh. Which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So the other part of this that I didn't like about the alien in general, and I don't know if we're at this point yet in the in the wiki, but I didn't like when they went and they said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, every you know piece of this alien that's alive is its own alien." Because now all of a sudden you're like, "Well, you guys can't survive." Like, I'm sorry if if a cell is enough to get assimilated, then you guys are screwed because you've been blowing shit up and like. You, there's no way you're going to torch every cell. The other thing is when they brought the corpse back and they were like, oh, the corpse – because the corpse had like still cellular activity, right. which means they burnt it, but they didn't burn it enough. Like it would be one thing if the dog was the only avenue to get assimilated, but they brought the body back and the body actually had cellular activity. So to me, once you got down to like even burning it doesn't actually do enough, like to me it was like all this is for naught anyway. I mean, right. yeah, they were totally hosed, totally and thoroughly <laughs> hosed from the get-go. I mean, I guess the question is, like, if you're in that type of situation, how are you thinking about it? I think to a certain extent, human survival instinct is to just say, but I'm going to survive. I'm not going to get infected. I'm going to get out of here type of thing. So I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, throughout this thing, it was a joke. Well, that's the other thing that is unclear about the movie. They kind of play it that if you are assimilated, you aren't you, and you know you're the alien. Like, the alien's pretending to be you. But there's the window left open for maybe you're assimilated and you don't know you're not you. I don't know. That's unclear to me. I think at this point in time, though, the majority of the audience still wants the world to survive, right? Like oh, sure, You still yeah. want th somebody from this group, most of the people from this group, I guess, at the point is still alive, but you want them to survive. Whereas at the end of the film, I was like, I don't even have to care. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when uh, the head comes off the body 
when they torch it. Ew, that's so gross. And then it like Ew, turns the into the spider goo. thing. Turns into the spider thing. Yeah. And it's like crawling away. And you think it's going to like disappear and get away. And the guys like turn around and look at it. Yes, because the little and, antenna and pop out. Yeah, and they're like, what? <laughs> they're, they're like, like, like no fucking little... way. Yeah. Like, yes. And then they, then they torch it. But I, it was just funny. That was a moment of levity and, and also right. grossness. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's where I was surprised where I guess in 1982 people didn't find that like this funny. And I, I don't know if maybe they just hadn't seen that kind of dark horror where there's no getting out. But my God, was that spider thing awesome. Yeah. It was like the head's upside down to begin with. And you're like, well, if I was a spider head thing, I would want my head upside right. But then the upside down head also then grows the antenna. Yeah. yeah I was st- like, this is they amazing. Were eye, they were eye stalks, oh, right? They were eye like stalks. eye stalks or whatever. Yeah. I thought they were antenna. Well, it was amazing. Yeah. And I loved that part. That was one of my favorite parts. I felt like the animatronics were really good in this. You know, we talk about those effects and I feel like very rarely you're seeing, I mean, you're having that gooey head right decapitate from the body and as the flesh is pulling the face is still animating i mean Mm -hmm. you're just like again i was just like how are they doing this i mean they've got to have some level of animatronic like remote control sure yeah animatronics in the head as somebody somewhere right is yanking (laughs) this head off the body allowing that flesh to pull with the green goo oozing out and you're like that's probably like a one take opportunity i would love if they could redo this with the same like effect type skills but made the blood more realistic because the blood was just too fred for me well they had Mm. the 2011 there was the prequel that was made yeah i don't want to watch that i (laughs) I feel like that's going to be all cgi but i want like somebody who's actually making these realistic pieces monster pieces to do it with realistic blood. I think that would be much more Man, entertaining now. I don't know. I liked it. But that bothered you? They could also just go the back fake and re- yeah. recolor it. They they could recolor Maybe Maybe that was part of the problem <laughs> is that they just need to recolor it. But I just I, I did love all the effects. Okay. So I have a fun fact on the defibrillation scene. A double amputee was used during this. So one of the, the guys is getting defibrillated because they, they're thinking that he was having a heart attack. And as they're defibrillating him, which is for some reason, a really hard word for me to say tonight. Like his whole entire chest cavity kind of collapses. And then the monster kind of like, I guess, starts to to happen. So the double amputee was amputeed from the, the elbows down. And then the makeup effects designer, whose name is Rob Botton, ended up making two prosthetic forearms for him made out of wax bones, rubber veins, and jello. So then they had this like mechanical jaws clamped down on the rubber arms and that's what made that whole effect look so realistic and i thought that was unbelievably amazing so the actor is pulling his away his arms away as the mechanical jaws clamp down which is i think everybody's favorite scene except for race because you liked something earlier (laughs) but he had such an intense workload with this film, obviously, that after the workload or after the film, he ended up having to get hospitalized for like double pneumonia and like completing ulcer. Oh my wow. gosh. I just can't even imagine the ability to think about the anatomical design of your forearms and then how it should be clamped and pulled away and still make it look like it's that person's arms. Charles is left on guard while the others go to test Blair. They find that Blair has escaped and has been using vehicle components to assemble a small spacecraft. On their return, Childs is missing and the power generator is destroyed. 
McCready speculates that the Thing intends to return to hibernation until the rescue team arrives. McCready, Gary, and Nulls decide to detonate the entire station to destroy the Thing. As they set explosives, Blair kills Gary, and Nulls disappears. Blair transforms into an enormous creature and destroys the detonator. McCready triggers the explosives using a stick of dynamite, destroying the base. McCready sits nearby as the station burns. Child returns, saying he became lost in the storm while pursuing Blair. Exhausted and slowly freezing to death, they acknowledge the futility of their distrust and share a bottle of scotch. One thing that I kind of hated was the blood test. Like, mm-hmm. the blood's just screaming out. I didn't really Why? like that part. No? No. Oh, I like that. I felt like it should have done something a little bit more realistic and not just screeching. Like, your blood can't. How is it? Does, how does it have it's vocals? It's But how does it have a mouth? It doesn't have a mouth. It doesn't well, have vocals. None of this makes it, sense. It is, <laughs> but it assimilates into something it does. It's not blood. It's but, just an like, alien. I know. I, it's, I didn't like it. I was not expecting that. I mean, you're expecting something to happen with one of these Petri dishes. But when, like, basically, like, a mini blood monster goes, like, Rah! you're like what i mean that was probably the only jump scare in the whole movie where where i was like (gasps) yeah because the guy can't then use the flamethrower to like he just sits there and stares and you're like come on man and then kurt russell's flamethrower isn't working Mm -hmm. so you're just watching the guy stand there and kurt russell trying to continuously start his i don't really know how flamethrowers work if it's being started or if you just turn it on but whatever (laughs) ignite Yes, he was he was having technical issues, whatever it was. I feel like Ray should be able to answer this. He worked in the military. I, yeah, I like how we're looking at the man and be like, you know flamethrowers. Yes, obviously. Yes, yes flamethrowers. How many You're flame a dude. Throwers? You know that. Like, like out in my garage, my flamethrowers. <laughs> All my flamethrowers. Yes, but I like that you qualify with the military. It gave it some legitimacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say uh, that scene, though, of all the scenes in the movie, we're talking about paranoia and and kind of the the stressful environment i felt like that scene actually held something for me watching the movie because you have him with the blood test and he's each person they're tied up and i could feel it i could feel that you didn't think the the cutting of the hand was a little bit too dramatic well i mean anytime, and they put the blood in a petri dish which anytime I didn't they understand. anytime they cut fingers and, and hands they always cut them so deep it seems yeah like. and it was like oh here's a couple droplets of blood no. <laughs> yeah, let me gouge. Yeah. Let me give my hand yes. a flesh wound. But but yeah. that but that's we'll all movies that seem to do that. Because I because I think in reality because I <laughs> yeah. think in reality people wouldn't accept the little boop and then blood comes out. What, I just think people like oh, what made me laugh was that they had hogtied all these gentlemen yeah, to, the, yes. to one another, except for Kurt Russell. Right. Which, Right. Why is he the godsend? Well, he, well he he's got the, the dynamite, dynamite. He does and the, the flamethrower, so he's in charge. <laughs> There's Cause, lashes. Because nobody else. Balls. Yeah, he's like whiplashing them. <laughs> and, I mean, it made me laugh because I'm like, you didn't think this through so well, did you? As, you know, the individuals are tried for alien blood, and then the one Palmer or whatever, like, freaks out and again turns into, like, a bloody Venus flytrap. And the other dude's like, untie me! Untie me! I was just <laughs> that dying! Was I was like, yeah you, yeah, you didn't think this through so well, did you? So when they go to check on Blair, who's sitting in his little hut by himself, like, what was the noose there for? That was actually earlier, though, that they checked on him. That was before. Okay, because you keep seeing flashes of this noose, and I was like... He was just getting ready to hang himself if it all went bad, I guess. Technically, he was probably using it to lower things down into that tunnel. But... <laughs> to build a spaceship. That's true. It was <laughs> a you <know>? fulcrum. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was just... Or a foothold win- for himself. He was yes. winching the stuff <laughs> down there. Yeah, that's probably what he was doing. As they're down there in the generator room, which is also built out of ice, apparently. Yeah, what was they, that? The two guys walk 
all the way back into the darkness. Uh-huh. Once again, away from everybody else. Right. And get killed. And I'm like, geez, these people are idiots. So do you guys know at the end, do you know who the thi- which one was the thing and which one was the person? Was Kurt Russell the thing? Or was Kurt Russell the person? Or was Childs the thing? Do you know? No. What's your I- guess? What's your guess? I mean, I was this entire movie really again, I was hoping like in my heart of hearts, this was a Shakespearean tragedy. <laughs> so I just thought it was Kurt Russell was the thing like the whole time and he was going to be infected and like death to the protagonist. So he would be my vote. Also, I thought Childs was kind of cute. I know that there was an alternate ending filmed for this where rescuers pick up Kurt Russell and they test his blood and he comes out clean. So I would have said Kurt Russell, because of that fact that I know that, would have been not contaminated. So John Carpenter came out and said when he filmed the scene, he filmed it in a way that you can tell because Kurt Russell is sitting there breathing in the steam, the condensation from his breath Mm -hmm. is coming out with every breath. And I noticed that. Childs comes in. There's absolutely no breath at all. He's the thing. I mean, probably in the end, either way, they both got infected and died, right? Well, they both got frozen anyway. I mean, once again, there's no way to stop that thing from being frozen somewhere. Right. So I have a couple of fun facts. Go ahead. Give them. I am a huge fan of Halloween. We know John Carpenter has like his kind of like musical thing going on where it's very telltale in Halloween. So when you hear this, John Carpenter comes at it once again with his like kind of repetitive sequence. Sure, yep. Right? So you think he did the music? He did not. There was some dude named Ennio Morricone. He wrote the music, but he tried to be reminiscent of Carpenter's own style. The soundtrack did not leave a lasting impression on me for this <sighs> one. It's because I love Halloween so much. Yeah. But I do. I mean, you know me. I'm very musical. Typically, I pick up on that. This did not impress me, I guess, musically. It wasn't as loud or as, I think, as... <laughs> I do know um, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween like is it was very present. Very distinctive. Yeah. yeah. This is also John Carpenter's favorite film. I guess that oh. he himself did. Oh, good for cool. him. <laughs> and this is the first film in his Apocalypse trilogy. So the other two are 1987's Prince of Darkness and 1994's In the Mouth of Madness that Ray always talks about, but we haven't done yet. Yes. I'm holding that back for a special occasion. <laughs> so I'm excited to see when that's going to pop up. Are we ready to move on to the ratings? Sure. Okay. Now that we've reviewed the movie, it's time to rate it. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. First is technical composition, which represents how well the movie's made, including the script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. The second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And third is enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy watching the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to watch it again? Our rating scale goes from 1 to 10, with 1 being the worst and 10 being the best. All right, Helen, let's start with you. What are your scores? Oh, boy. So for tech, I would give it a 7. I think that the effects were pretty awesome. I wouldn't say that the plot really did too much because I really could care less whether the people lived or died. I felt like it was more of a bro film, that there was no emotion towards any of the characters in there. For impact, I would give it also a seven. I wouldn't say I was too scared. I really didn't feel the paranoia in this film as much as I did with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I thought that they did a really good job with that one. And enjoyment, I would give it a nine because I would watch this again. 
I have to concur with Helen on the tech portion of it. I also gave this movie a seven. I didn't think that the acting was overwhelmingly awesome, but I thought it was okay. Uh, The special effects were great. The plot development was weak, but I liked the whole murder mystery type of vibe this had going on. An impact, I'm going to give it a six. I have to totally agree with Helen on this one. The paranoia in Antarctica I think could have been amplified 10 times more. The isolationism, some of the shots, I think the opportunity to do just so much more interesting shots cinemagraphically with this one was like right there on the table for them. They just didn't take advantage of it. And then the enjoyment factor, I would say I I did like this overall. I'm going to give it an eight. I just thought it was kind of a cool flick. I watched it again. For technical, I'm going to give this movie a nine. Purely on three points, the effects, the location shooting, and Kurt Russell's hair. <laughs> so lusty. Absolutely. For impact, I agree with Anne. I'm going to give this a six. It was not real scary. It was also not particularly psychologically dark in a way that I would expect the paranoia kind of to be. But it was gross in a lot of ways. And it had some cool action in it. So I'm going to give it a six. And enjoyment, I give it a seven. I would watch again. I liked it. I'm a little disappointed that you can't figure out what happened because you just can't find clues in there because they don't exist. But overall, I enjoyed this movie. All right, Anne, crank crank out the the numbers. All right, I'll go to my Commodore 64. Beep, boop, beep, boop, boop. And it turns out that, no surprise there, I rated this the lowest. And quite honestly, I was I was a little concerned that I overrated this. So uh, <laughs> I, I gave this a, a solid seven. I think it could have gone a little bit lower than that. But all right, I'll, I'll give it that. Ray, you were just above me at a 7.33. And Helen, you are at a 7.67. So generally speaking, we were all in the same area with this one, um, bringing the movie to an average of a 7.33. All right. Well, that puts it in our number seven spot. So that puts it tied with Annabelle and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and puts it above Halloween 18, Annihilation, and The Conjuring. Interesting. Oh, wow. But close. And I feel like that's right. Yeah, it's I, right in there. I think nostalgia definitely bumps things up sometimes. And Kurt Russell's hair. Oh, God, yeah. And those baby blues. I want to rub my fingers through that hair. Mm. Well, you know, if he could go back 30 years. I didn't know Kurt Russell was attractive once. No. I missed <laughs> that boat. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people where I'm like, huh, look at him. Now we know. I, w- I will say, Helen, I, I agree with you. I, I think what happens with older movies is we tend then to forgive them things that we don't forgive newer movies. You watch a newer movie, you have an expectation, and you kind of hold to it a little, I think, a little more. As we should. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast app you use. And please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout-out to tell us how we're doing or suggest movies to review. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at host.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-host, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. 